First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Good morning. I'm so excited to be standing here today um, in front of you all. I'm excited to be um, sharing the gospel for us today. Um, I am grateful to the Lord for just giving me this wonderful opportunity to just be here with you, with Trinity Bible Church, even for just a short period of time. Um, I remember Pastor Mark's first prayer when we were having uh, dinner the first time I got in here. He asked the Lord to um, make my time here a very fruitful one. Indeed, um, every single time that I get to have learning from the Lord through His Word and even from the classes that we have, every single one of those have been truly, has been truly encouraging to me, and I praise God for that. Um, and I, I thank the Lord for how you love the church. Could you guys take a look around you and, or maybe just look at the person right beside you? Do you guys love each other? Thank you. <laughs> and I praise God for that. I praise God that just by observing how you love the Lord and how you love the church and His Word, it encourages me. And I know that there is something that I'm not going to be ashamed to take back with me in the Philippines. Praise God. Today we're going to talk about being unashamed of the gospel. But before we get into the text, I wanted to show you a couple of photos. Um, I think we have that. Okay. So of the things that are happening in the Philippines, just some interesting things that are happening in the Philippines, specifically in Cebu. Now, the first, or the, the first two pictures that on the screen, that's an annual event offered to the little Jesus, or Santo Nino. So some of you probably are aware of it. Now one, one person, Ivan. Yeah. Um, millions of people all over the Philippines would come to Cebu every third week of January and express their devotion to this little Jesus. This is a heartbreaking event, and there's There's not a single prayer walk that we do that I have not cried. Just seeing these people having misplaced devotion to something that is just tangible, something temporary as this little Jesus. But the third photo that I'm going to show you is an annual gathering of Christians all over the Philippines. Now, this event originated from Cebu through a vision of an influential lady, um, 
she said that she, she um, saw a vision from the Lord as she was watching fireworks um, from New Year's Eve. And she said that we should also, as Christians, celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. And, well, the first time I heard about it, I got excited. It brought me great delight to, you know, finally have known that some Christians in the Philippines would be willing to stand up for Christ, which is a very needed um, revolution for Cebu and for the Philippines as a whole. And they have asked some pastors all over Cebu to not just participate, but to serve in this event. So I was one of those pastors who volunteered. Yeah, I, I'm going to help out in that event. But in my surprise, you know, from one preacher to the other, it seemed to me that they have this overarching message. They would excite people in telling them that the Philippines will be a great country. It will be a rich country, and we will no longer ask for help from other countries. You and I will be rich people. And I was like, that's not the gospel. Well, the gospel is put as plain as this. God loves you, and he wants the best for you. Receive him in your heart today, and you will be good. You will be healthy and you will be wealthy. That's heartbreaking too, right? Well, I guess the problem is not that as a people, as Filipinos, we are not less devoted. We would die for everything that we devote ourselves into. But I think the problem is that the majority of Filipinos don't have a deeper understanding of what the gospel is. And, and those who have understanding of what the gospel is, do not preach it or are ashamed to preach it as it is. They, they would sugarcoat it to make it more you know, impressive to people. And that's heartbreaking to me. Now, today we're going to talk about Paul being unashamed with the gospel. And I thank Arch for giving us a brief background of the text, that this is indeed a letter from Paul he wrote to the Christians in Rome in his eagerness to see them and preach the gospel to Rome as well. Now let's go to our scriptures today, and I'm going to read to you again Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, if you're like me, Paul's confidence in the gospel would make you ask, what is this gospel that Paul was talking about? What is this gospel that he was willing to die for, that he was endeavoring himself to do, or what is this gospel that he was so eager to preach to Rome and to people, and to all people? Now, um, given the context, he kind of like, he's kind of like giving us the idea of what the gospel is after his introduction of himself. In verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And then he said, set apart for the gospel of God. There's the mention of the gospel. 
In verse 2, he said, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. See, there he says that this gospel has been promised beforehand through his prophets in accordance to his scriptures. And I think the best way to look it up is to see what the, the prophets or prophet Isaiah tell us about the gospel. So I know some of you would, would think, I thought we're taking a break from Isaiah. Why are you reading from the book of Isaiah? But just a couple of uh, verses from the book of Isaiah. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Isaiah 40, verse 9, it says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. See the gospel, the good news. Lift up your, stri- or your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. In verse 10, Behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Now in here, the gospel is verbally proclaimed. It is preached. It is heralded. And I believe what Isaiah was talking about is that he is proclaiming the good news that God will deliver them. Who's them? The Israelites that have been captives by Babylonians because of their sins. Now, the good news that Isaiah was talking about is that God will deliver them, that he will forgive their sins, that, they, that he will be their God, and that he will bring them back to the promised land. Now, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 He tells the same thing. He says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I mean, it's the same point. God's reign and rule will be established when he saves his people out of exile. Now, I believe that um, when, when, when that Isaiah was talking about here is that he is telling his people that there is a promise of, of this new covenant, this new exodus, and new creation. That God will deliver them. If I were to summarize what gospel is according to the Old Testament, it's this. The gospel is the good news that God will intervene for the salvation of his people. So the gospel is not just found in the New Testament, it's found in the Old Testament. And Jesus picks up on this gospel message. If you look with me in Mark chapter 1, in the New Testament, verses 14 through 15. Now this was after John the Baptist was arrested. And Jesus came into Galilee. He was proclaiming the gospel. It says, now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I believe that the the kingdom of God and the gospel are two different ways in describing just one reality. 
When Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, he was talking about what Isaiah was talking about. That the promise of his reign and the deliverance of his people will be fulfilled by him. That the gospel that Isaiah was talking about is the gospel about himself. When he was calling the people to repent and believe in the gospel, the focus was on him. We know that because the book of Mark was all about Jesus. The book of Mark is all about Jesus portraying him as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, and the suffering servant who will take away the sins of the world. Now, I believe that what Jesus is trying to say is nothing different from what Paul is trying to tell us. That the gospel that Isaiah, the prophets were talking about, is focusing on Jesus. And this is the gospel that Paul was talking about. Now, friends, you and I have some bad news. Do you know that? You and I have some bad news. We're all rebels. We have rebelled against a holy and righteous God. And you and I are going to be accountable, will be held accountable for that rebellion. Every one of us. There's no exceptions. You might be here and you claim to be an atheist. You say, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm exempted from the judgment because I don't believe in your God. No, every single one of us have rebelled or has rebelled against a holy and righteous God, and we will be held accountable. That is the bad news, but that's how the good news seems to be so good of a news. Because God loves rebels. So much so that he sent his son to this earth and became like one of us. I like how Greg Gilbert put it in words. He said, he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he died the death that we should have died. And he rose to give us a life that we could never have otherwise. That's the good news. The gospel is that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and that he rose again to show that our sins are forgiven. He rose again to show that the sacrifice that he made on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. That is the gospel of Christ. Now friends, if that is the gospel of Christ, would you be ashamed of it? That is the gospel that Paul was not ashamed of and is eager to preach to everyone. Now, going back to our text today, after Paul introduced himself and his ministry, now, verses 1 to 15, I believe he talks about the message and the messenger. Now, after he introduced himself and his eagerness to go to Rome to preach the gospel, he goes on to say in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, if you're like me, again, you would probably throw a question like, for Paul to be able to say that, what are the possible reasons that he could have been ashamed of the gospel? What are the possible reasons that he could have been ashamed of the gospel? Notice that in verse 1, Paul tells us that he was called to be an apostle, set apart, for the gospel of God. 
And verse 15, he tells us that he is eager because he's called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel. He's now eager to preach the gospel. Now, Paul was all about Christ. Nothing was more important to Paul than to make Christ known to everyone. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I determined, I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. He's all about the gospel. His life is, around, is wrapped around the gospel of Christ. But the thing is, the more that Paul preaches boldly or unashamedly of the gospel of Christ, the more that he accumulates for himself a ridiculous amount of shaming and humiliations from the people that he was preaching the gospel to. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, where Paul enumerates what he has been through for the sake of the gospel. He said that with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, he has been imprisoned with countless beatings and often near death. Five times, he said, I received the hands, from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. How many is that in total? I don't know. I, I'm not good in math. Probably 245. <laughs> just, just my guess. But then he says, Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And three times I was shipwrecked. And there's just one day and one night that I was just drifting at sea. Those things, those unlikely circumstances. Now with all those things that Paul experienced, all the humiliations and even unlikely circumstances that he has been through, well, he could have been ashamed of the gospel. Would you believe someone who, who just came out of the prison and comes to you and tells you, hey, I have good news to you. I know where, you can, where we can get all the money. Would you believe that person? I don't know about you. Probably won't. He just came out of the prison. But Paul could have been ashamed. Now, friends, I know that we probably won't be able to measure up with Paul's sufferings in our whole lifetime. Now, the closest I think that I could get was when, you're going to be shocked with this, the closest I think that I could get from, you know, measuring up to Paul's um, circumstances or sufferings was when my mom, in a loving way, hammered my toes with pliers. You're like, what? Why would you do that? It's okay. My toes are totally fine. <laughs> and I, it served me a great purpose. She's going to hear about this, right? Is this recorded? I love my mother. <laughs> and she's going she's to be celebrating her birthday this month. I love you, mother. But that was the closest I think I could get to relate to Paul's sufferings. But that wasn't even because I was out sharing the gospel to a bunch of kids. That was just because I was out enjoying my playing time with a bunch of kids swimming in the river and forgot to come home for lunch. So my mother used the, plier, or the, the pliers to hammer my toes. But, but I'm totally okay. <laughs> but on a serious note, though, 
When we hear about Paul's passion and boldness in sharing the gospel, sometimes we would like to be able to identify ourselves with him in that same way. We would like to say to ourselves, yeah, I'm like Paul. I want to share the gospel to people. I'm bold and I'm unashamed to share the gospel to people. But the fact is, for you and me, very often, we are ashamed of the gospel. Because in those times when we could speak, we we don't speak. And when those times that we we have been given the opportunity to be bold, we're not bold. Or when the world around us tells us that we are being irrational and illogical and unreasonable for telling them that there's only one truth and one way to the Father, that's Jesus Christ. When the world tells us that, sometimes our, our tendency is to shy away and stop preaching the gospel. Of course the gospel sounds foolish. Of course it sounds silly to men. Nobody wants to hear about blood, about death, about judgment and wrath. Nobody wants to hear about hell. But the gospel message wouldn't be more valuable and precious when pe- if people don't understand their need for a Savior. And that's why we, we have to preach the gospel as it is, unashamedly and boldly. And right before Paul's eyes, were humiliations for the gospel. But was, he an, but was he ashamed of it? No. Not even once was he ashamed of the gospel. You know why? Do you know why? You don't know why. <laughs> Let's go back to the text so that we will know why. Now, after Paul exclaimed that he is ashamed of the gospel... He gives us reasons why, or a reason why he's not ashamed of it. Now, he's not ashamed of the gospel because, simply put, he knows what it does and he knows how it works. Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, what does the gospel do? Notice that Paul did not say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it tells us about the power of God. No, he didn't say that. Rather, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, or I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Now, remember what I just said about the gospel from the Old Testament? That the gospel is this. God would intervene for the salvation of his people. And I believe this is how God intervenes. By displaying his great power to save his people through the gospel of Christ. That's how God intervened. Now, I remember when we were going through five solas, and um, our brother Justin preached about um, sola gratia, and he he was preaching from Ephesians chapter 2, and there he he taught us about um, our state apart from Christ. I remember the the point that he made was that apart from Christ, not only that 
we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and not only that we are object of God's wrath, but also we are enslaved to our sins. I love that. No, I don't love that. I don't love being enslaved. But I love that we get the right picture of who we were and who we are apart from Christ. See, there was no breaking free from that, that cycle. All that we do apart from Christ is sinning and sinning and sinning and offending the righteous and holy God. Now, there needs to be an intervention. There needs to be an outside force, an outside power, a dunamis, the Greek word for power, to intervene and set us free from that sinning cycle. Now this is what Paul is trying to tell us, that it is the gospel of God that sets us free from that bondage. This power of God will set us free from that sinning cycle. The gospel of God is the power active in the world to bring about deliverance. Deliverance for men from God's wrath, we just sang about that a couple of minutes ago, from sin, from the kingdom of Satan, from judgment, from death, and from hell. That's what the power of God does. That's what the gospel does. It delivers us. Now think about this. The almighty God who created the universe and whose powerful words caused things to exist and gave life to men, That same God is backing up this gospel message with his power, with his great power. Isn't that amazing? You've got to cooperate, people. And all throughout Paul's letter, he he always makes a huge deal about this resurrection power of Christ. Now, I believe what he's trying to get across is this, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at play in this transforming gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just as he raised Christ in his power, through his power, so is he giving new life to those who believe in the gospel of Christ. Now, if we have any understanding of God's power And if we have any understanding of the gospel of Christ, we will not be ashamed of it. Friends, if you're here and you have given up praying for your loved ones to be saved, because maybe with with a lot of time that you have given to to persuade them to believe in the gospel of Christ, there's no much fruit in it. Now ponder on this wonderful truth that the gospel is the power of God to save them. Keep on praying for them. Keep on sharing the gospel to them. It is God that will save them through the power of his gospel. And as you can see here, Paul is saying that this power of God, this salvation, is for everyone. See, the the invitation and the impact of this Saving power is widespread. It's for everyone. It's not just limited to Phoenix, Arizona. It is also the power that would save people 
in the Philippines. Those millions of people that I just showed to you through the pictures. And even in Africa, or in Korea, or anywhere in this world, the invitation is widespread. And so if you're here also today, and you're debating as to whether you would go, you should go to, I mean, on a mission trip or not, I would encourage you to go. Bring the gospel of God, that is, that is the power of God, to save people, even if it means you have to step out of your comfort zone, even if it means you would go to the unreached group of Africa, or even to a gospel-challenged urban city of Cebu. Get your passport and come with me to the Philippines. I could use some help. And I'm not even joking. (laughs) You guys are laughing about it. But isn't that the missions or the mission of the church? Now, Greg Gilbert and Kevin DeYoung concluded that the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples in churches so that they may obey the commands of the Lord and will worship Him now and in eternity. So go. Of course, you have to consider the cost of going. But I encourage you to go. Now, Paul just told us that what the gospel is and what it does, now he would go on to say how it works. And I love this. He goes on to say in verse 17, For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's a lot of commentaries on this, on this text, or in this statement, and some scholars have argued as to whether this could mean like a Christian reforms or Christian living. Well, I believe what Paul means in here is that the gospel reveals how sinners may be made righteous or justified before God by faith. We know that by looking through the parallel passage in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, one of my favorite passages in the scriptures that tells us that Jesus became the propitiation of our sins. It's a huge word, right? That he has satisfied the wrath of God. Now, Martin Luther, very interestingly, struggled with this particular text in Romans. He said that before he became eloquent in lecturing about Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, he said he was startled at this, at this phrase in here, the righteousness of God. Because he has learned from all his readings and he's learned from all his teachers that the righteousness of God means that God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. In which... He was included. So he said, I hated it. I hated this phrase. He said he was angry with God and exclaimed, as if indeed it is not enough that miserable sinners 
eternally lost through original sin, are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Decalogue, without having God add pain to pain by the gospel, and also the gospel threatening us with its righteousness and wrath. He was like, I don't understand this. This is ridiculous. I thought God loves me. But every time I read this, this phrase from Romans, it's as if that God is completely against me. That he would reveal his righteousness to me, his wrath. I'm a sinner. And I know I'm going to be object of that wrath. Yet, he says, nevertheless, I, I would want to learn more about what Paul wanted to say. Isn't that wonderful? As we, as we read the scriptures, there, there are things that we don't understand. There are things that we question about. We're like, I don't understand this. But I'm going to read some more. I'm going to read the context of this. And that's what helped Martin Luther. He read through the context of what Paul was trying to say, and then he figured it out. He got it. And then he said, at last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. He said, there I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God. Namely, by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel. Namely, the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. Amen. And this is a wonderful realization of Martin Luther. He said it felt like, um, it felt like he entered the paradise itself through open gates. Friends, indeed, this is also a wonderful realization for us. When we, when we realize we can be made righteous before the holy God, that's good news. Amen? That's good news because what's coming to us? What's coming to us is to be declared guilty and condemned. That's what's coming to us. We need to be made righteous and there needs to be an intervention because there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves righteous before the Lord. No amount of moral reforms will work. But the glorious thing is this, that Jesus took our sin and in exchange, God gave us his righteousness. That's why it says that Christ became sin who knew no sin so that we can become God's righteousness in him. And John Calvin says, it is entirely by the intervention of Christ's righteousness that we obtain justification before God. This is equivalent to saying that man is not just himself, but that the righteousness of Christ is communicated to him by imputation while he is strictly deserving of punishment. Now that God does that, he doesn't pass judgment on us 
according to our own sinful records. But He will judge us according to the blameless and perfect records of the Lord Jesus Christ. This glorious truth that God's opinion of us is not based on our own record, but the record of Christ, this is freeing. It will free you from nagging guilt. But if you're here and you have not given your life to Christ and you sense deep within you a conviction that there's something wrong in your life, that it doesn't make sense, everything that you do seems heavy and seems wrong, you're in the right place to hear that Christ indeed died for your place. Trust in Him and repent from your sins. I'd be willing to talk to you about it more at the end of the service or any, any one of us here would be glad to tell you about the truth of what the gospel is for you. And if you're here and you're a Christian and you've been nagged by a guilt that you made, take comfort that Christ paid for all your sins. Come to God. Run to Him. He is seated on the throne. Don't run away from Him. The second verse of one of my favorite songs says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted what? Free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Christ and pardon me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul ends up the verse by saying that this revelation of God's righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ, is received or activated by faith. From faith for faith. What does this mean? From faith for faith. Now, I would agree, for the sake of time, I would agree with Tom Reiner on this one when he says that this is to emphasize the centrality of faith in receiving the benefits of the gospel. Like from first to last, the power of God to save through the revelation of his imputed righteousness is by faith and faith alone. It is not something that we achieve through hard labor or some acts of self-righteousness, but by the gift of faith that, that God has given us. It is the gift of faith that is given to us by the author of faith himself. Nothing is new. Paul was quoting Habakkuk in here, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Nothing in you, from the time of Habakkuk to the time of Paul, the message still stands the same. It takes faith to understand God's power of salvation. Whether his work involves a ruthless invading army of the Babylonians, or whether it involves the work of Christ on the cross, it takes faith to understand that. It takes faith to receive that. Now, friends, Paul's understanding of the gospel on what it does and how it works, 
I believe, fuels his passion and boldness to preach that same gospel to all people. He wasn't ashamed, not a single bit, because he knows that this gospel that he was called to endeavor for is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. He understands that this gospel brings about the manifestation of Christ's righteousness that we all need. We all need to be declared righteous before the Holy God. And Christ has afforded it to us. And that is activated by faith. More so, whether in life or death, Paul understands that if he is going to be unashamed today about Christ and the gospel, he will never be ashamed in the day to come. See, the reign and rule that Isaiah was talking about, Jesus will reign indeed. Now, Paul understood that if he is unashamed today, he will never be ashamed on that day. Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8, verse 38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Friends, let's not be ashamed of the gospel. We know what it does, and we know how it works. It saved us, and it will save people around us. See, what are some ways that we are ashamed of the gospel? When you go out for lunch after church, do you pray over your food in public? Or do you like say a quick prayer, thank you for his food, amen? That's it? Or when you go to your workplaces tomorrow, are you ashamed of sharing this life-giving gospel to your workmates? Or maybe you're at school. Are you known to be a silent Christian? How about a church? How about here? Do you pray, care, and with all your capacity love the people at church? You know that when we love each other, the gospel will, will be obviously seen by those people outside looking in. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. The wisdom of God will be seen through the church. I pray that we would love each other more, more so that we, now we know what the gospel is. Now we know that what it did to us and what it will do to people and how it works. Friends, let us not be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.